0: blog
1: talk radio there's a reason for this there's a reason education sucks and it's the same reason that it will never ever ever be fixed it's never going to get any better don't look for it be happy with what you got because the owners of this country don't want that i'm talking about the real owners now The real owners, the big wealthy business interests that control things and make all the important decisions. Forget the politicians. The politicians are put there to give you the idea that you have freedom of choice. You don't. You have no choice. You have owners. They own you. They own everything. They own all the important land. They own and control the corporations. They've long since bought and paid for the Senate, the Congress, the state houses, the city halls. they got the judges in their back pockets. And they own all the big media companies, so they control just about all of the news and information you get to hear. They got you by the balls. They, they spend billions of dollars every year lobbying, <laughs> lobbying to get what they want. Well, we know what they want. They want more for themselves and less for everybody else. But I'll tell you what they don't want. They don't want a population of citizens capable of critical thinking. They don't want well-informed, well-educated people capable of critical thinking. They're not interested in that. That doesn't help them. That's against their interest. That's right. They don't want people who are smart enough to sit around the kitchen table and figure out how badly they're getting fucked by a system that threw them overboard 30 fucking years ago. They don't want that. You know what they want? They want obedient workers. Obedient so they can give it to their criminal friends on Wall Street. And you know something? They'll get it. They'll get it all from you sooner or later because they own this fucking place. It's a big club, and you ain't in it. I am the soul that the builder refused. I am the visual, the inspiration that made ladies sing the blues. I'm the spark that makes your idea bright. The same spark that lights the dark, so that you can know your left from your right. I am the ballad
2: in your box, the bullet in the gun, in the inner glow, that let you know to call your brother son, the story that just begun, the promise of what's to come, and I'ma remain a soldier till the war is gone. <is>
3: Chuck, Chuck, Chuck. By taking some time out of our daily lives to sit down and have a little chat. There are of course those who do not want us to speak. We think just let me Aspect, think expect even now orders are being shouted into telephones and men with guns will soon be on their way. Are... Damn it. Why? Because while the truncheon may be used in lieu of conversation, words will always retain their power. Words offer the means to meaning, and for those who will listen, the enunciation of truth. And the truth is, there is something terribly wrong with this country, isn't there? You designed it, sir. You wanted it foolproof. You told me every television in London. Cruelty and injustice, intolerance <laughs> and depression. And where once you had the freedom to object, to think and speak as you saw fit, you now have senses. Surveillance, coercing your conformity and selecting cameras. your submission. We need cameras. How did this happen? Who's to blame? Well, certainly there are those who are more responsible than others. They will be held accountable. But again, truth be told, if you're looking for the guilty, you need only look into a mirror. I know why you did it. I know you were afraid. Who wouldn't be? War, terror, disease. There were a myriad of problems. To corrupt your reason and rob you of your common sense, fear got the best of you, and in your panic you turned to the now high chancellor Adam Sutler. He promised you order, he promised you peace, and all he demanded in return was your silent, obedient consent. Expect.
0: Die! Die! Why won't
3: you die? Why won't you die? Beneath this mask, there is more than flesh. Beneath this mask, there is an idea, Mr. Creedy. And ideas are bulletproof.
4: And ideas are indeed bulletproof. It is Friday night at the appointed time, and it's your boy RZ, and we're here for the End of the Year program, which kind of got off to a rocky start on a spreaker end, but it appears to be all good now. So, tonight, we're going to talk about different things I've charged the panel with. A specific task of bringing to us what they have learned in 2018 and or 2017 as we go into 2018, and I have a piece from Bastiat that I'm going to read, but we're not going to do any of that until we kick this deal off the way we always do. So. Stand by. And what the left has stood for with political correctness is to try and get those with whom they disagree to shut up. And the, the Tea Party movement and Sarah Palin and Michelle Bachman and Alan West and, and all, the, all the people that have gone out there against the mainstream media and said, you're going to call us racist, you're going to call us potential Timothy
3: McVeigh's, fuck you. You live here? Yes. Well, maybe you know what a zombie is. When a person dies and is buried, it seems there's certain voodoo priests who who have the power to bring him back to life.
0: Horrible.
3: It's worse than horrible because a zombie has no will of his own. You see them sometimes walking around blindly with dead eyes, following orders, not knowing what they do, not caring. You mean like Democrats? It's 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas. Half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses.
4: Yeah, so that was uh, our friend Gary from America's Hat and uh, a tune that he and his band did called Lonely Street. And I totally gapped on who would would did it until Kel reminded me. So anyway, here we are, caught in the midst of Huge amounts of global warming here in the Twin Towns. It is plus two currently with uh, lows for the next week or so in the mid-teens and highs in the single digits, which, of course, is Minnesota. So... It is the nature of the beast. So as some of you know, I bought a new truck this year. I got my my new 96 Ranger. And uh, it has four-wheel drive. Now, I'm a city boy. So I never really considered that having four-wheel drive to be a necessity in a city where they plow snow and stuff like that. But it snowed a little bit today. So whilst I was out running errands this morning, I figured what the old hell I would take and engage the four-wheel drive on the Ranger. And Holy crap. It was like super fun. And it was super trippy just pulling away from, you know, a hopelessly black iced uh, intersection with traffic. I mean, it was super cool. I I I couldn't have been more excited about it and I'm just I'm I'm enthusiastic of course. Uh It doesn't help you stop, but it does help you get away. And to those of you and I know that Uh, There are a few of you that may be on the John B. Wells uh, train. I've been spending some time listening to uh, some recent shows from Caravan to Midnight. And there has been a few really good programs this week. And if you look up Caravan to Midnight on the YouTube's, you may find some pieces of the interviews that have been done. They're on break here over the last week. But today I listened to the episode from December 19th, Anthony Patch in which he talks about D-Wave computers. Now, he had been on Clyde Lewis's program within the last week or so and did and brought this up, but it was good to hear it more than once. And there was also another good program from December 22nd that has been that brings into what we've been talking about over the last few weeks. Uh he had Wolfgang Halbig and Fetzer, James Fetzer who is who are both deeply entrenched in debunking the uh the Sandy Hoax and uh Kennedy assassination, and 9-11, and all that stuff. So if you have the opportunity, take and pop over to YouTube and see if you can pick up the interviews. If you cannot, take and consider subscribing to Caravan to Midnight. I really think it's money well spent. And especially if you are like me, it becomes valuable material to have on hand. So, and let's see what else is up. Uh, uh, I went and uh, ordered a new stove now here in the land of 10,000 taxes you always have the uh, you always have the potential for a power outage or something like that when it gets cold or a tree falls over or almost anything could happen so i was looking for a stove and I'd looked at all the vintage stuff, but it wasn't exactly what I was looking for because what I wanted to have, I wanted to have a stove that I didn't have to have plugged in. You know, I don't care about digital displays and timers and this and that and the other thing. What I want is a stove that works under all conditions. So I found a stove made by... Uh, Premier, which has a pilot light for the oven and the little sparkers for the uh, for the burners on top are run off batteries so it's a thirty inch stove it's got it's got four burners four and positions and then one middle burner and it's not exactly the latest greatest in uh say your gourmet stoves and it doesn't have the grates that go all the way across it, but my brother's kid is taking a welding class right now and uh so I'm going to task him with building me a grate that goes over the entire top of the stove and he'll have to make it out of stainless steel and do really really cool uh you know he'll have to he'll have to work at it and I'm all for that and who knows maybe I can teach, I can have him teach me how to TIG weld at the same time. So I got that going for me, which is nice. So the new year is upon us. The old year has passed. We've seen a lot of groovy stuff over the last year. And we've seen a lot of not so groovy stuff. And These are the things that make us who we are, who and what we are. And I've read you a lot of stuff over the last year. And I think that I will be reading you one more thing for my contribution tonight. And... I really think it encapsulates the whole year to a very few paragraphs and I think it's something that can that can come into play for all of us. Now, in addition to that, I would like to encourage y'all to call in and Talk with us about the year and what you've learned, and where you think we're going, and where we may go, and uh, and everything else like that. So I put the uh, call in number in the chitty chat room, and that number is six four six four seven eight four six five four. So before. We do that and get everybody. Let's get everybody wound up and ready to contribute. Let me read you this thing from Bastiat, and then we'll discuss it, and then we'll go in to the main points. It goes as such: Every time we deem an action to be good and beautiful we should like, quite naturally, to see it made the general practice. Now, when we see in society a force to which all gives way, our first impulse is to enlist its aid by decreeing the action and imposing it on everyone. But the question is whether one does not by degrade both the nature of this force and the nature of the action, rendering legally obligatory what was essentially spontaneous and voluntary. As far as I'm concerned, I cannot get it into my head that the law, which is force, cannot be, can be usefully applied to any purpose other than repressing wrongs and maintaining rights. I have just described a nation where this would be the case. Suppose now that among the people of this nation, the opinion prevailed that the law should no longer be imposed, limited to imposing justice, that it should aspire further to impose fraternity. What will happen? It will not take me long to tell, for the reader has only to remake the preceding picture in reverse. At first, a frightful uncertainty, a deadly insecurity will hover over the whole domain of private activity. For fraternity can express itself in billions of unknown forms, and consequently, billions of unforeseen degrees, innumerable proposals will each day come to threaten all established relations. In the name of fraternity, someone will demand the equity of wage rates. Whereupon the working classes will be reduced to the status of Indian caste. Neither ability, nor courage, no assiduity, nor intelligence will be able to raise them up again. A leaden law will weigh them down. This world will be a Dante's infernal to them. Abandon all hope, ye who enter. in the name of fraternity. Another will demand that the working day be reduced to ten, eight, six, four hours. action will be forthwith brought to a halt. And there will be no more bread to appease hunger, nor cloth to protect men against the cold. A third will propose replacing bread and cloth by legal tender paper money. Do we not buy things with money? To multiply money, he will say, is to multiply bread and cloth. To multiply paper is to multiply money. QED. A fourth will require that competition be abolished by decree. A fifth, that self-interest be eliminated by law. This one will want the state to provide work. That one, education. And another, pensions for all citizens. Still another would dethrone all the kings on earth and decree in the name of fraternity, universal war. I stop here. It is quite evident if we take this path, the supply of utopias is inexhaustible. They will not be rejected. It will be said granted, but it is possible that they will not be. vices to create uncertainty, the greatest scourge of labor. Under this system, capital cannot be formed. It will be rare, dear, and concentrated in a few hands. This means wages will be reduced, and that inequality will open up a continually widening gulf between the social classes. It will not be long before the public finances reach a state of complete disorder. How could it be otherwise when the state is responsible for furnishing everything to everybody? The people will be crushed under the burden of taxes. Loan after loan will be floated. After having drained the present, the state will devour the future. Heady words indeed. And to start off, let us turn to our friend No Way. What up, homie?
5: Well, good evening, good evening everyone. Yeah, I, I liked I, I liked that reading because uh I, I guess the aspect of the more things change, the more things stay the same. You know, they we we're seeing lots of theater, we're seeing loss of anger and hatred, not towards President Trump. Actually it's towards us supporters who supported Trump and voted for him for president. But these the things that are in place, we're seeing that within our our youth right now. They don't understand the difference between going out and providing for themselves and having the government provide it for them. Like the reading says, first, it's this person wants wood, this person wants an education, this person wants food, this person wants health care, this person wants whatever and they'll go on and on. We have to look at what they have created in America. If we look at what's going on here in this reading, all we have to do is look at Common Core. From the first grade on now, their language is not teaching children English, proper English, grammar. It's teaching ways of creating... Anger its right in the bylaws. My parents said, no. My parents constantly ask me to clean up my room. The teachers are now instructed to teach these kids. You do not use that word. They continue to ask me to clean up my room. It's no, they nag me. To clean up my room. This is the kind of language they're teaching our six-year-olds, and the reasoning behind it is is to enact emotions upon the discussion. Use anger to get your point across. It's all in the bylaws. This is core being pushed onto our state. So these teachers are instructing our youth on what the social injustices of America are. Why should this millionaire have have millions of dollars and you have nothing? Even though this millionaire has worked to put himself where he is, this is just a child that has done nothing but is now being taught how to be a victim of something that doesn't exist. And to bring about social change, they are being taught how to use hatred and anger and trigger words. Trigger words that will trigger anger in whoever they're bringing this across to. This has never changed. We voted for Donald Trump. People thought two thousand and seventeen was going to be so much better than sixteen and fifteen and fourteen and so on, and it 's no different. The simple government control over the sheeple is still there. The core values of this corruption within our government is still there, whatever theater they want to play to make you think Donald trump president. Donald Trump is doing something good for America is all a ruse. It's a ruse. Nothing has any of Hillary's people or anything gone down. No. Do we see any of these pedophiles, their large rings going down or just an individual person now and then to yuck it up in people's faces. That's all we're seeing. I don't see any indictments of jail time or nothing. If that was you, that would be a different story. So 2017 has not changed. They have given a ruse that it has changed. But it has not changed. Because the people are not allowing it to change. And one thing that we can look at real quick Improving that point is we all know the finances of America. We've talked about it on this show for four or five years and it's going downhill. But now because of this new tax rewrite, we have the left contradicting themselves within their own news writings. When you look at one aspect, they're screaming because Goldman Sachs just took a $5 billion in their fourth quarter to their profits. What that $5 billion is, is taxes. The new tax code just nailed Goldman Sachs for $5 billion. But in the other breath, they throw up another story. With a real catchy headline, Donald Trump wants to bring inflation back. So, you know, according to the so-called elitist, we have not seen inflation for eight years under Obama. We didn't see inflation because they said we didn't. Even though the cost of a loaf of bread went from $2... To five and a half dollars. That's not inflation. But it is. They have monetized the debt so bad. They have devalued the dollar so much. That they have doubled. The cost of a loaf of bread. But Donald Trump wants to bring inflation back. What could this possibly be a story about? Well the story is. About him going after President Trump made an awful nasty tweet, attacking Amazon. The tweet, why is the United States Post Office, which is losing many billions of dollars a year while charging Amazon and others so little to deliver their packages, making Amazon richer and the post office dumber and poorer? should be charging much more. So that sets the lefties off. They're carrying on about how the United States Post Office doesn't charge enough to deliver packages advantaging Amazon and others instead of the government-backed service. Why is the United States Post Office, which is losing many billions of dollars a year while charging Amazon, well, why are they? When our United States government taxes the American taxpayer billions of dollars a year to fund and help shore up a bankrupt unionized entity like the United States Post Office. So why should we be charged more while Amazon gets away with paying pennies on the dollar for the postage? That's ridiculous. But the catch is they're calling this inflation. If they go after Amazon and the post office and they force the post office to charge its fair rate to Amazon as it does to everybody else, It's going to cause prices to go up. That's not inflation. That's business. You charge what it costs you to produce a service. Why should the United States Post Office, that is supposed to be an independent entity from the government so deep in bed in the government? Why should they give cut rates to billion-dollar corporations like Amazon while they have their hand out to the United States government? So the people are not getting the truth. The people are not getting the truth of that they're... The way it's working. Now, what I was looking for here, what I wanted to, and I found it right here. I've been saying right along, we all know that the this stock market right here is overinflated. It's it's bubbled up. It, it's fake. It's created the the money, the um, the manipulation of money, the manipulation of bonds and stocks and just lies. They've inflated it. And I've always said it's to set Donald Trump failure, is to make sure that we do not have eight years of President Donald Trump. When you look at the left and how they're carrying on and their so-called professional economist, faster inflation would also peril the current economic expansion. Chief economist of Modi's analyst recently told Yahoo Finance, that he doesn't expect a recession to come to the United States until 2020. How can he predict that a recession? Because if they go after the United States Post Office and say, no, we're not giving you billions of dollars of taxpayers' money so you can continue to operate a bloated, unionized corporation that you've become, so you can feed your, your workers big, elaborate salaries and benefits and pensions on the backs of the taxpayer. You go after your customers to pay it. So so people with Amazon Prime may have to pay more for their Prime service. Big deal. Why should I subsidize them? It's that simple. But what they're saying, if you look here, when they start talking about recession. They can trigger it. I've said it right along. As soon as the stock market started to take off, once Donald Trump was elected president, and we know that it's fake, I've always said it. It's to set President Trump up for failure. In twenty twenty, they will start destroying the stock market. They will start tearing it down. They will start you will start seeing large chunks disappeared just like we saw back in 2007 they do that to get rid of the regime that they that doesn't play friendly with the, the global communist our fiat currency is toast the world knows that it's toast the world is going after cryptocurrencies like bitcoin and others why because that is the great alternative because it's a currency You can't hold it in your hand, but it's got value. Your fiat currency does not. Your fiat currency has no value. It's created to fail. It's created to tear down civilizations, just like it's doing in America. We've had inflation right along. They're trying to say that Amazon going to gouge its customers and the United States Post Office is going to have to raise their rates for what they charge people like Amazon and these other large shippers. They call that inflation. That's not inflation. That's jacking up the price to cover your overhead. And that's cutting out subsidies paid for by the American taxpayer. That we shouldn't be forced to pay for in the first place. If the United States Post Office cannot stay in business, then it's time for them to go out of business. It's time for them to de-unionize, cancel out all the pensions, everything else that we're being forced to pay for, just like the teachers' unions and everything else. This is the truth, ladies and gentlemen. This is what goes on behind the scenes that you don't know about. It's not inflation. It's subsidies threatening, the threatening of subsidies going away. That, war, that now they use false wording, false narratives, false context, calling it inflation. When inflation is the devalue of the dollar, now it takes more dollars to buy the same product. That's what inflation is. Raising your, your prices of your services because your government subsidies going away, that's not inflation. That's draining the swamp. But is it going to happen? Is it finally going to take this big, well, Verizon's another one that's throwing a Fed. Because Verizon is being threatened that they will lose their big subsidies from the United States government. And there's another big bankrupt unionized corporation that the unions have driven them out of business to the point where they have used corruption in the government to feed the dying entity, which is a unionized corporation. And we see that every day. So it's this lie that we have to... It hasn't changed. Nothing has. And until I see good changes happening, then I won't believe any of the hype. So that's what I have on that, RZ. Back to you.
4: All right. Thank you, No way. And I see our friend, the Gooch has stepped up to the front of the line. <laughs> yeah, the I, I stepped
6: up. Hey, you know, I, happy Friday, everybody. Um, no Way great points. You know, I have a reputation, I think, RZ, when we talk, I think you you have this reputation uh, pinned on me that I'm all sunshine and roses, and I'm not looking at the picture big enough. I'm standing too close to the picture to see the whole thing. Um, That's not the case. I, I understand we've got a big problem with too many Americans expecting things from the public trust. Or from the government, or thinking that everything they see and can touch is a right, um, we got a big problem with that. no way touched on a lot of that um, when i when I heard no way talking, I just remember the fact that um, it was uh it was the first Congress that denied a glass manufacturer, a guy basically that made glass. He walked into congress and said hey i'd I'd like federal money to To make this glass, you know, for one reason or another. And back then, that Congress said, no, we're not going to do it. Reason being, very simply, it wasn't enumerated. Life would be so much simpler if we looked at the Constitution and saw that the federal government has no business giving cell phone companies subsidies, uh, giving people food stamps, paying people to go to college, and they also uh, the one the one way they've gotten around this is they say, well, you know, we'll give you a tax credit if you do such desired behavior, which is you know basically taking the burden off of themselves and placing it somewhere else. I look at subsidies and tax credits the same way; they're both evil. We have a we have a French Republican tax system. Uh, no way. Made some historical references, and and history tells us that uh, you know, when you have an uh, ill informed, uh, unskilled segment of the population that is catered to by leftists, you got trouble brewing. (laughs) So, I get that. Um, Real quickly, a couple of points of the Leviathan of the federal government with its all with all its illegalities rolls on. We did get a president who put Gorsuch on the Supreme Court. Um, here's my sunshine and roses for you, RZ. You know what I'm going to say next. We've still got our guns for the time being. He did insist on a tax cut for somebody uh, that people in California and New York are pissed off. I could care less. It's about time. They're a bunch of leftists anyway. We could cut those states off the map, let them float out in the ocean. And they'd keep floating, because that's what shit does. (laughs) Uh, So uh, the the bit of sunshine here is, if we focus on enumeration, if we focus on principle, um, we're able to bolster the case for giving a Republican another four years, which doesn't excite Holger and you. I get that very much at all. Uh, but while we still have some idea of what liberty is, and we're able to enunciate to the sheeple what liberty is and what it is not, it's certainly not a right to everything you see. Um, we, we can take a little. I, I can take a little hope from that. Um, so that's that's what I got right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna hang around and I uh, hope everybody's doing okay. I hope Minnesota's not completely frozen over like a TV dinner. Back to you, boss
4: all right thank you gooch and what do i see popping up in front of me it is a phone call from the twin cities area good evening sir and or madam what
2: say you yes good evening sir uh, thank you for taking my call um uh, I, I listened to a lot of the comments you made earlier, and uh, I agreed with a lot of the points you brought up. But I just felt like um, I don't think it's necessary to be as pessimistic about the stock market and the economy in general. I feel like um, under what we had under Obama, under that economic atmosphere, I would agree with your point about the stock market being a, a potential, you know, uh, trap for Trump. But I think under this new, you know, we're in a different economic, you know, environment now. We've got less regulation. We've got a, a tax system now that, while not perfect, it's obviously much more business friendly, and it's going to encourage companies to invest and to increase production, which is going to lead to you know, economic growth. So I just feel like, despite traditional thinking, I think Trump not only is in a good position, but I think we're going to witness the Republicans keep the House and Senate in 2018, and he's going to get reelected. And I'm not saying that because I'm, I'm a Trump supporter, I'm just... Looking at the facts, and I just feel like a strong economy is going to be a winning, you know, a winning thing for the Republicans. Well, that's cool.
4: And I saw that you, you know, you you, you came in and came out and came back in, and I'm I'm glad you did. Uh, what do you think? Let's turn things to perhaps more of a local end. Uh, Do you think that Minnesotans have a chance to rest one senatorship away from the so-called blue party in the election next year?
2: Uh, Well, I mean, they have a chance, but I just – I don't really – unless you know anyone, I don't don't see a strong Republican candidate out there. That's the only thing that concerns me because I think we saw – and I think you would agree – in the 2016 election, we saw that, you know, that obviously there's a rise in conservatism in our state. And the fact that Trump nearly won our state, I think, is indicative of the fact that people are starting to churn, but I just – I don't see any candidate out there, unless you know one. If you could tell me of somebody that you think is a good option, I'd, be. I'd love to hear it. Well, there's
4: been there's been some talk of Plenty throwing
2: his hat in the ring. Okay. I think that, that could work, yeah. I, I mean, if he did, because it, it would have to be someone like him that has enough name recognition to where voters and people are going to be aware of this person. You know, it can't just be some... Someone, even if they have a great platform that people aren't aware of, because I just feel like in this day and age, if there's no name recognition, you've got little to no chance of getting elected. Cool.
4: Actually, I think Plenty would probably be the uh, most ideal person to put up, especially against a uh, a weak lieutenant governor. Yep. that's going to be assigned that seat for to placehold it until the election. And Jimmy doesn't need the money and he's a hometown boy and yep. the beauty of it is is that he's been vetted when he made his his run for the nomination. If there would have been anything out there on him, it would have come out already.
2: Now, do you think he would be like a reliable uh, option in the Senate, or would he be, you know, more of a, I don't want to call him a rhino, but at least closer to that camp? Or do you think he'd be a consistent, reliable conservative vote in the Senate?
4: Well, I think that in the larger reality, he would be, he would not be a radical. By any means, and right. he's been around long enough to know how the game is played, so I would put him at about oh I'd say probably a fifty percent guy who okay. would make the vote make the vote uh, for the for the slam dunk conservative path. And I think he would – I would think in some of the larger realities, he would probably fall into line with what the party told him to do.
2: Okay. And if I could just ask you one more question. Um, I know a recent discussion on other conservative talk shows was the fact that you have states like Virginia and North Carolina that are you know, going from red and are now are becoming blue, and some people are being concerned that Florida might be doing that as well. And in their discussions, I noticed how they felt like there wasn't any, there weren't any blue states going red. And I kind of found that fascinating because based on what we saw in the last election, it seems to me that the Midwest, you know, Minnesota, you know, Iowa, Wisconsin, Ohio, Michigan, and even Pennsylvania for that matter, seem to be turning red. And I was just wondering, do you think that this is a trend that we're going to see to continue or do you think it was just a, sort of a a flash in the pan thing just because it was Trump, or do you think it's indicative of a greater trend you see going on?
7: Well,
4: I would – if you ditched the seven-county metro, Minnesota would be a red state. Yeah. Because the only blue you would have, and even that has has been – bitten into once or twice is the range so at that point I would say that you know Minnesota has been turning purple for a long time and given you know given the seven county demographic I would have a tendency to think that it's not going to be an easy process. Then on the other hand, you know, who knows what's going to happen from, from, uh, from one time to another. We've got a guy in the chat room that wants you to come to breakfast with us. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's always hope. And, yeah, you know, I think that there's a lot of people that are fighting the good fight. If Minnesota is to turn is to turn either purple or you know or pinkish, it's going to uh it's gonna to have to happen within the next ten to fifteen years. Because yeah. at that you're going to have a generational change and at that point when the generational change comes and the free shit army has consolidated
2: its power base,
4: it'll be way too late.
2: I mean, in a way, I think there, you know, I'll say it like this. I think there's still hope for that generation. And what I mean by that is like, uh, like I'm, like I'm 31, right. And up until the age of 22, I was a far left radical. Like I was, you know, basically a socialist all through college and everything. And at the age of twenty two I had a, a total worldview shift and I became conservative. And I think that just because these people these young people we see today, um, that are being indoctrinated into this leftist thinking just like I was, I think for many of them, once they get out of college and get into the real you know, the real world and get out there and get out of that sort of academic environment, I think a lot of them uh they lose their liberalism and many of them if not go all the way to the right, many of them just come to the middle and become centrist because, you know, common sense kind of demands it. And so I don't think it's a necessary guarantee that, you know, I know right now they seem like they're far-left radicals, but I still think that many of them will come out of that over time.
4: Well, and I mean the real – okay. Okay. The real deal, holy seal that'll drive a millennial generation or, you know, I don't know. You'll have to forgive me because I'm like super old and crusty old fogey guy. Uh, when the harbinger of debt that is college comes to call... You will see a sea change in a lot of this stuff. Because when they, you know, when they sucked all these people in, you know, for their degrees in, you know, transgender, underwater basket weaving,
2: and all that, <laughs> lesbian uh, dance theory.
4: Right, right. Yeah. I mean, they've been provided you know, they've been provided no useful skills to uh to get into the world with. And now when the you know, you've been you've been told as as a, as a young adult that you're a child until you're 26 that you can remain on your parents, you know. So you've got another, you know, you've got a minimum of at least two generations of cellar dwellers that aren't going to be, that aren't going to be out into the force doing anything useful for some time and, you know, Not that I didn't stop at home for a few weeks here and there, you know, in between my assaults on reality when I was, you know, in my 20s,
3: because I did.
4: And, you know, I had a, uh, you know, I had a a really good excuse. I was really drunk that decade and like that. But I think what you're going to see is that, and it all, all pieces, and I don't know where you stand on this, but economic collapse is a reality at some point. And it, when you look to see the exodus from dollars to Bitcoin, you see how people are starting to hedge. Not only that, but the real problem is, is should the should the dollar no longer be the reserve currency in the world is when you really start to watch uh what like what Noe was talking about, any, you know, designated Federal Reserve inflation goal of three percent That'll look like a gift from heaven once it starts to go full Weimar Republic or, as a more uh, current example, Venezuela, where they've been having 700% inflation for the space of the last couple of years. You know, if you want to see your future, if things don't change, Venezuela is your example.
2: Right, but in a way, it doesn't, I mean, like, if you take Venezuela, for example, Venezuela is obviously a developing nation that only has so much, you know, economic interest worldwide, whereas America, sort of like a unique situation because America is a pinnacle nation. It's obviously the, the, the number one superpower in the world right now, and it's got so many tentacles in so many parts of the world, and it has so many economic interests worldwide that benefit the U.S. I just feel like, if that were to come, they would be able to manipulate it in some way to somehow stop it or turn it around. Because, I mean, it's just... Well, they've been doing
4: it for decades.
2: Right, and I just wonder, like, who like, like who would be there to stop it? You know? Like, if you look at history, I don't know if you probably studied this in the past, like, other nations that faced economic collapse, they oftentimes went to war with other nations to sort of undo it, if you will. And I just think with with the military we have, at least the, the, the weaponry we have, I don't see why they couldn't just do that, you know, if things got that desperate. Right.
4: Well, I mean, war is the war is the the go to guy. Because the only the only thing that war doesn't have going for it anymore. Is that news is way faster than it used to be. You know. When, okay, back in, during Vietnam, Vietnam was the first televised war. And even though the pictures weren't instantaneous the way they are now, what came within the next day, or the day after, galvanized the country into... In action where the government was literally forced to acquiesce to the demands of the people, now we know a lot more about the political situation and all the and all the backstory about Nam now than we did then. The only thing is though is that in the larger reality that was a war that media ended for all intents and purposes by showing it to the people. And if you if you look at what's going on in the Middle East now, how long has it been since you've seen anything on TV about Syria or Afghanistan or Ukraine or any of those things? You don't because if those things work start to work their way into the consciousness of your you know, general American slash Joe six-pack, nine-to-five guy. He's going to go, wait a minute, this is Nam all over again. We're not doing any good here. People are just making money.
2: right? All right, but I, and I agree with that, but I would say you have to also look at motivations, right? Because if you think of Vietnam War, that, that was a situation where we had the U.S. government basically fighting the communists you know, in Northern Vietnam. And so the media, which is just full of a bunch of liberals and Marxists, and, you know, we know, we know, we know who's all in that industry. They obviously uh, had a built-in incentive to try to deter America in that war because they were sympathetic towards communism. And I just feel like if we had a different situation where, let's say, let's say, okay, you would agree, the one thing that's holding back inflation is the fact that the U.S. dollar is, is one of the main global exchange currencies, right, worldwide. That's the number one, the main one. And let's say all of a sudden countries globally decided they didn't want to do it. Let's say it was starting to become unstable and starting to inflate, and they wanted to do that. Now, the U.S. militarily could just impose and threaten countries and say, if you do that, we're going to go to war with you. And let's say we have a worldwide conflict with China or some major power that wants to challenge that and wants to sort of assert itself. In that scenario, I think the media, because they obviously have skin in the game, they'd be very different in their coverage of it and how they would go about it. And instead of, you know, trying to uh, indoctrinate the country to do a certain thing, they would actually sort of encourage the country to get behind it. And they would actually work as a galvanizing force versus the negative force that it's been for the majority of our history because they'd have, you know, they they have an incentive this time.
4: Right. Are you familiar with BRICS? B R I C S. No, sir. Okay. That's a that's a coalition. It's an economic coalition, or uh, it's an economic coalition of Brazil, uh, Indonesia, Russia, and China. The Chinese are already trading for oil. In Yan, there are many things that are going on economically that bear closer examination. And as the BRICS movement starts to uh, starts to pick up steam, you will see the U.S. you will see the U.S. dollar's reserve world world reserve status become weakened and then it's full-on Weimar at that point.
2: Okay. So then we'll have to go to war with China then at that point.
4: Well, I don't think that's a viable option to tell you the truth. I think
2: Well, I mean, yeah. the majority, the majority well, of what the that?
4: economic policy is about is to create a... Uh, is to end up creating a one-world currency, which is why I would be wary about Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies at this point.
2: So, well, but I mean, you, I don't you know. Would, I mean, you would still think that? Course. I mean, don't you think there still be enough people that would still believe in American sovereignty? I mean, I would find it hard to believe that. The American people on on mass would just be willing to sell their their sovereignty and join into some type of a global system. I just don't see that happening. Well,
4: neither do I. Not currently. The only thing is is that we don't know what happens in the immediate future. And I I commend you. You're asking awesome questions. If I was as awake as you when I was your age, I'd be well, I'd probably be dead or in jail by now, but uh i commend i commend your your line of questioning. There's so much out there for you to find start to look into start to look into the bricks thing and okay. that I think. You know, I'm an amateur economic fanatic. Most of the people on the are hearing it from me. Uh, but I do believe that, you know, one guy like you can make a difference. And I've got a... I've got to get some other people on the phone, but I would invite you to call back. Okay. And continue well, to listen because you've got a good point of view. I'd love to hear more of it. And you're a homie. And I want, you know, it's like it's pretty rare. There's a few of us that uh, that work towards these things here in the area. And you if there's a... Uh, If there's a Tea Party rally or something like that over at the Capitol and you see two old fogies with Gadsden flags, that's generally me and Holger.
2: (laughs) All right. Definitely. Well, thanks again, sir. I really appreciate you taking my call, and um, thank you for answering all my questions and giving me the time. So I really appreciate it, sir. Thank you.
4: All right. You be good now.
2: Yeah, you too, sir. Thank you.
4: Yep. Good day. And let's bring in our friend Mike from Louisiana.
8: Well, first off, what, what our friend, uh, not the Gooch, but our friend, you know, said earlier is that we're headed just that way. But, again, I don't foresee that because, one, they don't have – they're talking about trying to sort of re uh, Relitigate the whole Northern War thing across the country, spread it across the country, or at least across the South. Here, I don't foresee that happening because there aren't going to be enough of those type of guys that have that type of problem to get these, get the people in office already out of office. The people on the Republican side that have that, that are up for office, which Basically, right now, you look at the numbers, there are more Democrats having to defend offices than Republicans. And so there's that. But, again, you know, the cryptocurrency thing, I'm looking into that, and I do agree with you on uh, the whole war thing. You know, that's generally how things are done historically is uh, – uh, with uh, Babylon, with uh, the Assyrian Empire, with the Egyptians, with uh, the Medo-Persian Empire, all those empires, when they need, even the Romans and the Greeks, even when when they needed money, what did they do? They get, went and attacked other people. And now, over to that point right now? I don't think so. I mean, you?
4: When we start Hello? to look into the crypto deal, uh, the thing... I've always viewed Bitcoin as a medium of exchange.
2: Sure.
4: As I take some of my money and I take and I put it into Bitcoin and then I use Bitcoin to leverage something. Like if I'm buying silver... I get a better price on silver from any of the silver brokers if I pay with Bitcoin. When you look at the big exodus of money into Bitcoin and then you start seeing the articles coming out where all of a sudden banks are becoming concerned because Bitcoin is not regulated by anyone. And you start to see articles about uh, England, the U.S., and some rumblings around the EU about we need to get a handle on this because it's something we don't control. You see where I'm going?
8: Yes, I I do see where you're going and and I see where you're going with that and I see that that's probably where all these governments are going because they don't want I mean we we know what uh George Soros did to the British pound. He devalued he went in there and devalued that thing and basically destroyed the British pound. And he may be, him and people like that may be very well looking to do that to the dollar. You know, yeah, we've had inflation at different times in the nation, but the dollar has remained relatively stable. Now, if somebody like George Soros can come in here uh, and somehow devalue it to the point of, Well, it becomes less stable. And again, like uh, like our friend said earlier, that's what they want now. Now, as far as the political side of it and what's happening with our president, again, you know, he's the economy is going great guns right now. Now, granted, I do agree with you about the uh, the uh, the uh, the the the, the stock market is due for a fall. It's due for a file. You can't, and, and and the fact of the matter is, is we've propped it up for far too long, you know. Yeah, yeah, because of the tax plan and because of his election, uh, Trump's election and all that stuff. Yeah, it's good right now, but it's due for a file. And when, when it has that file, now granted, there are certain companies that if you own that stock, it's like you're printing money. I own Exxon stock. It's like the the Exxon, all all Exxon can do, Exxon Mobile can do right now is print money, especially with the fact that they now can drill out and and war and drill out on off the Gulf Coast, off the off the East Coast and stuff like that. You know, now will that help? Yeah, that will help. But we're due for a file with our economy, and we're due now. How soon will that fall happen? Would the the progressives like to have it happen right before the election in 2020? Yeah, sure. But will it happen?
4: I'm not so sure. And that's what I got on that, RZ. I've been, and I've sort of fallen, uh, you know, I've sort of fallen off the whole stock market thing because I view it as being completely unfair unsustainable at that point anyway and the only thing you know the last time the market fell it was at about 15 and it dumped to seven and that was water seeking its own level because that was the stock market's true worth at that point. What you see now is just speculation and casino. And if you had a 50% correction and the market dumped to 12 it would still be overvalued the only thing is, is that you know it's like bitcoin okay so bitcoin started off at uh oh what was it at the beginning of the year it was a sketch under a thousand bucks and it's up at fifteen, sixteen thousand 16000 now you know that is not a store of real value, it's a store of what people believe. You know, it's a perceived value. It's like buying a Harley versus another motorcycle. Okay? Now, I own a Harley, and I own some Jap bikes, and really, my 99 is probably one of the finest bikes I've ever owned. You know, it works fine, it does everything it's supposed to do, it's loud and it's cool, and it's mine. But is it dollar for dollar better than a comparable something else? Not really. It's how I feel about it that makes the difference. It's a perceived value and that is exactly what's happening with with bitcoin right now it's a perceived value and when the day comes you know if you bought in at 2 grand now would be the time to take and pull all of your initial investment out and probably about half the profit and go buy you a big old buttload of silver because if you can't hold it in your hand or defend it with a gun, it ain't yours. So I don't know. No way what you got anything on this?
5: Well, it's when when it comes to the, the currencies, and they can manipulate it. I, um, I was trying to think back, if you look back here four or five years ago, remember they were going after China because they're trying to say China was manipulating their currency, which makes it more valuable. Well, America does the same thing. They done the same thing with their stock market as soon as Donald Trump got elected. Uh, Now President Trump is doing all this, look at the stock market, he's got something to brag about. It's all fake. We know all that. The, The great crash of 2007, they like to blame it all on housing. The only thing in housing that it was, was they were building homes that people couldn't afford. And they were done through these, yes, predatory loans. They blamed it on subsidiaries of the banks. But the banks were the ones putting these companies out there. But anyway, what happened is a lot of people didn't realize they they got into their home, they built this new home, they got into it with 1% interest. The small print, within six months, it would go to normal interest. Most of these people's um, mortgages doubled. Well, they couldn't afford the double, so they lost. So when they defaulted, not only did the banks go down, but places like The company I work for, this was a 35-year-old trust manufacturing plant. This place was massive. We pumped out massive product a year, millions. Nobody could build. So that means all the suppliers go down, the manufacturers went down, the banks went down. Housing covered so much. All your plumbing, your electrical, your heating, all of that went down. It all disappeared. All that buying, all that fakeness, all that set up by government to prop up an economy that could not sustain it. Now, with a currency, it's the same thing. They're trying to hide the fact that we are now in hyperinflation. We have crossed the point of debt to GDP. So the rate of inflation, they're saying... We don't have inflation, but we still do. 3% a year inflation, they say, is nothing that's normal, so they left it. But now that we're past that point of debt to GDP, it's producing twice the amount of inflation. So when it comes to your cryptocurrencies, they're not getting the volatility in the dollar that they need. They need this dollar to go out into debt and come back in payments and go out in bigger debt and come back in bigger payments. They need this volatility to move. But when you start taking their fiat currency and you turn it into a cryptocurrency, they can't control it. You're taking the volatility away from that dollar so they're not creating the debt to create more value to give you the... Impression that your dollar and the economy is doing good. When you start, so if they go after cryptocurrency right now, anybody that's heavily invested in it will lose everything. Because there's already some countries coming out. They started this week and it was more so two weeks ago. They're looking at banning cryptocurrencies totally in their country. Because of how it eats up the volatility of the dollar, you know, it's working, but it's not working for them. It's working for the cryptocurrency. That's why you see that that uh, Bitcoin. Take just Bitcoin. A month ago, was at six thousand. Now it's at sixteen to seventeen thousand. It's gone back down to fourteen thousand. That's a lot, but it's that volatility that they have taken out of the dollar. And they can't have that being taken out of the dollar, out of the rupee, out of the yen. They cannot have these cryptocurrencies coming in and destroying their imitation value, which is basically debt. So if they're going to go after the cryptocurrencies, you need to be very careful right now, like RZ said. Because if you invest a bunch of money in there and you're thinking you're going to hang on to it until it's more valuable, if these countries start banning cryptocurrencies and the bigger banks like the the Feds and the United States and others, they start banning it, they start putting major regulations on it, it's going to kill the value completely. And you could be left holding the bag. So it's best... You buy some, you buy your gold, your silver, you get out. You get in and get out. Get in and get out. Be like a day trader. That's the only way to use your cryptocurrency right now safely. And we need to see what the big governments are going to do because they're killing the dollar still. That hasn't stopped. We're seeing that in everyday prices, in everyday dealings. The economy's gone nowhere. You can't believe the unemployment but you got to keep a close, close eye on what currencies are doing. And as soon as cryptocurrencies started taking over, they started attacking them. So we got to be very careful. Does that make any sense? Yeah,
8: yeah
4: I'm good with it. Yes. Uh, okay. All right. Let's uh, let's get John in. John just poked up here. Hey, John, what's going on?
7: Hey, gentlemen, it's always a good time to hear your voice. Um, I wanted to point out a couple things that we, you know, no way you were talking about the post office earlier, and I don't know to what extent our United States Constitution, Article One, Section Eight, gives the Congress the power to establish post offices. But I don't know if that means that they have the right to operate them at a loss or, you know, or whatever. But it is in our, you know, falsified Constitution, in my opinion, as you probably, those of you that look back in archives and you hear me say, oh, we said that the Constitution was the best that we could do at the point in time that it was done, but it was a um, faulty document from the get-go purposefully. For multiple reasons I won't go into for this Go back to the archives and listen If you want to hear that Or we'll get into it another day And um, as far as The gentleman that was called In earlier that I'd never heard before On the show I appreciate what he has to bring to the table I hope he continues to come back And to inquire with all this stuff And to bring his own intellect and knowledge Back to the table to help us all learn Because we're all continuing to learn And my my opinion on a lot of what you guys were just talking about is we're headed for the gilded age again, in my opinion, because our, our debt and our currency manipulation that's going on all around the world, you know, we are the base reference currency of the world. But if you look at the stock markets going up like crazy gangbusters over the last number of years, mainly because we had the quantitative easing and the The institutional bankers, international big guys, and the hedge fund operators get access to the discount window, and then they get to use the factoring, you know, this fractional monetary policy nonsense that they got into, where they get the privilege of using that to their benefit, and you and I, the rest of us, we, the United States citizens, are neglected. Even though we have a constitution that says in Article 4, Section 2, That we, all citizens, have the same privileges and immunities of all citizens of the several states And then, you know, um, Amendment 14 says we're all equal You know, we're supposed to be treated with the same due processes And the same privileged protections of law But that's not the way it operates We know there's a, you know, oligarchy of centralized people that are usually board of directors on all these multinational corporations around the world. If you listen to back some of the archives about the shadow government and the deep state and use your own mental ability and gymnastics to piece it all together, you know it's a rigged system, and it's been that way since the get-go. Remember when Benjamin Franklin says, we have a republic if we can keep it? Well, part of it was probably due to the fact that he realized a lot of these plantation owners that had slaves were forcing their hand to make the Constitution the way it is. So those particular owners, you know, property owners and plantation owners and whatnot, still have economic control because they know as long as you can control the money, what's that golden rule? He who controls the gold controls the rules. So therefore, all these boards of directors set on these... Uh, or all these wealthy international bankers and, and traders and what sit on these board of directors for all these multinational companies and these hedge fund operators, and they collude with each other and say, hey, my hedge fund buddy over here, go to the discount window and get X amount of money. And then, You know I'm going to get you To loan me that money through your bank You know indirectly And then I'm going to use my business To collude with the congressman To make sure that all the rules and the laws And the processes and procedures of governing Make sure that that money continues to Come right back up to us again So we can continue to control And have um, Exclusive control over it And exclude the rest of we the people And so therefore they continue To control all that Well just like um, R.Z. was saying about the the dollar being potentially devalued because of the BRICS nations, you know, uh, Brazil, Russia, Indonesia, India, China, Saudi Arabia. Look up, I don't remember if it's 2014, 2015, but it's the Shanghai Accord. They're already talking about how to move off of the U.S. dollar as the base currency for the world. Well, these people, just like you guys are saying, want to manipulate it for a centralized governing control by the oligarchy of multinational um, corporations. All of these big board of directors, guys, that sit on these boards, and then they do these colluding deals with the people who get access to the discount window from the Federal Reserve and you and I don't get that same privilege, even though we're supposed to. By the Constitution, we're all supposed to have the same privileges and unities. They collude to get these deals. And then they collude with the congressmen and the centers, you know, with the campaign money and then their sideline indirect businesses and corporations and whatnot. And it's the same thing you hear about, you know, right now they've got the number of different companies that say, oh, we're going to up our Uh, minimum wage to $15 an hour or whatever. We're going to help the economy by doing that. Well, most of all the companies that's doing that are multinational corporations. Now, why are they doing that? Yeah, they want you and I to understand it from a marketing standpoint, that they're being nice to their employees. We're going to give them the benefits of health care and all this stuff and pay them a better wage and whatnot. What they're really trying to do is make the startup cost for a new business that's trying to compete with them, higher, and to make the small companies, small businesses, and small corporations that can't not afford to pay their employees $15 an hour and take care of all their health care and all this stuff, to make them, you know, run out of business because they just can't compete at that level. So then the multinational corporations continue to make, you know, more, more money out of the deal because now they're taking up more of the market share, but also because of the manipulation of the dollar and the way things have been working with them using the banks to extend credit and then making sure that the laws provide for civil forfeiture asset, you know, or what is it called, civil asset forfeitures, then they can use the law to say, hey, I'm going to keep these people as poor as possible, because I'm going to control the wages. I'm going to give them enough to put my competition out of business, these small companies and smaller corporations, put them out of business so we can get more of the market share. And then I can make sure that these people continue to go in debt trying to keep up with the Joneses, because they got to have knowledge and information to go to school and get all this debt. So we've got the highest level of stock market, which is – Bogus, like No Way said, we got the highest level of credit card debt. We got the highest level of automotive debt. We got a a highest level of um, mortgage debt. And like No Way and uh, RZ mentioned, our our debt is way beyond what it should be in order to maintain it based on the debt to ratio to our GDP. Well. These particular people that manipulate that, they know that they're going to get the rules, laws, processes, and procedures of governing that they want in order to take your property from you, even though they can manipulate you like a slave because they have control of the people in the gateway to power of our, you know, congressmen and senators. But the real value of our currency is the ability to pay. It's not the demand of debt. Because you can demand the debt to be paid all day long, but you can't suck blood from a turnip. And as long as the wealth of our country and all the distribution of the money stays up in the 1%, the top 5% of our country owns 98% of our debt, or, or wealth, I mean, that means the rest of us have to operate on what's left over. And with the continuing debt in the you know, credit cards, school loans, automotive and mortgages and whatnot. And also look at how the mortgage debt is being consolidated. A lot of these people who are buying up the mortgages are the wealthy people that can now afford more and more homes. It's not more and more people buying homes. It's a consolidation of who the owners are. And so, therefore, that means less money from the rest of us are, is available for us to continue to pay the debt. And if we keep putting ourselves in debt or, you know, pay it back, then no matter how much money they keep printing, it's still not going to get paid back if the wealth of that money keeps going to the individuals that already have it. And so then you have a collapse of the dollar because the Chinese and stuff are going to say, hey, we want all our treasury notes paid in full now. They want to call that stuff because they've invested in them and now they want to make sure that they get paid back and they see that the debt and stuff of all these other things are going up, and then we end up getting a collapse from that standpoint because the people who are in debt do not have the ability to pay it back. And that's why we have a lot of defaults and student loans and credit cards and stuff that people are overlooking. But that is very – there's a lot more to that, and it's hard to explain, but I think as much as we keep – in tune with all this stuff and keep talking about it, we can all continue to stay on top of it. In the digital world that's going on with all of this stuff, you know they have the National ID Act, Real ID Act. They keep pushing this stuff, and we're already under the Social Security Number system. So if you don't think that we're under a controlling system now, stop using your Social Security Number and see how much buying and selling you do. That's why they use collusion with between the elite establishment people who are actually in the board of directors positions controlling our Congress and stuff and using all of their corporations and whatnot to data mine all of our information. So they have access to all that stuff and data to control everything that you and I don't get the same access to. And they get the money to do it from you and I because they just keep getting the money out of the Federal Reserve you know, the discount window, will get that free money or cheap, cheap money, and then they will loan it out to a certain number of people, and those people start businesses, and then they pay the rest of society a wage to work at those businesses, and then those people go into debt, and then they end up just paying it right back to the people that did. it's It's not, oh man, I don't even know how to explain it. It's just so confusing. I mean, it's so complex. But I think RZ can probably explain it better than I can. No way, for sure. Back to you, RZ. All
4: right, thank you, John. Now, when we started out the evening, I was talking about enforced fraternity from the from the thing I read from Bastiat. So, let me get back to it. And let's try and put it into the frame of what we talked about tonight and I'll kind of interject my my thinking into this. Every time we deem an action to be good and beautiful, we should like, quite naturally, to see it made general practice. Now when we see in society a force to which all gives way, our first impulse is to enlist its aid by decreeing the action and imposing it on everyone. But the question is whether one does not thereby degrade both the nature of this force and the nature of the action. Rendering legally obligatory what was essentially spontaneous and voluntary. As far as I am concerned, I cannot get it into my head that the law, which is force, can be usefully applied to any purpose other than repressing wrongs and maintaining rights. Now everybody's mic is open so you can jump in as you see fit. What I see here is the idea that has been brought forth over the last few years of equality. That everybody is equal. That everybody is just fine and That if indeed this is true, then we should make it have to be that way. And this is what I'm talking about when we're starting to talk about imposing fraternity. The next paragraph describes it. I have just described a nation where this would be the case. Let us suppose now that among the people of this nation, the opinion prevailed that the law should no longer be limited to imposing justice, that it should aspire further to impose fraternity. Well, I think we've seen the results of imposed fraternity. You see it every day in the guise of Big Gay. You see it in the guise of BLM. You see it in the guise of ever increasing dependence on the government to provide each and every person with all they need. He goes on to say, what will happen? will not take me long to tell, for the reader has only to remake the preceding picture in reverse. At first, a frightful uncertainty, a deadly insecurity, will hover over the whole domain of private activity. Like saying, like say, you were running a bakery and you decided that you didn't want to bake a cake for a gay couple because you don't believe in gay marriage. For a fraternity can express itself in billions of unknown forms and consequently billions of unforeseen decrees. Innumerable proposals will will each day come to threaten all established relations. In the name of fraternity, someone will demand equality of wage rates. Does $15 an hour come to mind? In the name of fraternity, uh, wherefore, the working class?
7: Huh? Go ahead. Um, when you say we're all equal, I have to question: What are you saying we're equal to? Equal in what way? I have my idea, but you may not want to hear it right now.
4: Well, I'm just—I'm putting it up to the idea that <coughs> that we are in the very throes of exactly what Bastiat is putting out in this thing. Innumerable proposals each day will come to threaten all established relations. In the name of fraternity, someone will demand equality of wage rates, whereupon the working classes will be reduced to the status of Indian caste. Neither ability nor, nor assiduity or intelligence will be able to raise them up again. Go ahead.
7: If if what I understand you reading is to s- suggest we're all equal, but then you listen to what you read for the rest of the article, it's it's oxymoronic. Because if we're all equal, then we all get to decide for ourselves the burdens and encumbrances for us, for our individual self. But the rest of those statements, if somebody's making this demand for, you know, they have all equal wages, well, then you're telling somebody else that they don't have the right to decide the burdens and encumbrances for themselves. Otherwise, they're not all equal.
4: That is the indeed the very definition of forced fraternity, would it not be?
7: But they can't say it's forced um, fraternity And then say it's all equal it's that everybody, Unless everybody is getting mutual assent And then whatever the outcome of mutual assent is From 100% of the population That would be forced I don't see how you can call that forced fraternity Because we've all mutually assented To hold ourselves in true obedience To that which we consented to Okay, You know, you know
4: then no. I, I I understand where you're going and this is why I'm going to ask you a question okay the american the americans with disability act this is an example of forced equality and fraternity Where anywhere you go in public, the ADA is bringing an encumbrance upon that business for which they did not sign up. It is an example of a forced fraternity. Do you agree?
7: I would have to ask. How can that? Stand without being considered hypocrisy if the foundation of the rule of that ABA was predicated on an oligarchy of centralized people dictating it to the rest. Only by mutual assent would that stand. Otherwise, it's just one small group of dictators telling the rest how it's going to be under the ABA rules.
4: You are correct. But that is a result of a forced fraternity because your masters have decided that it is so. And that means that if you decide to take your skill into the public square, if you have a public space that has a bathroom, there needs to be accommodations made, whether you want to or not. That says you have to have hand railings. You have, to, you know, your doors for the stalls in the bathroom have to be X amount of wide. There has to be a little sock over the drain pipe on your sink. So... Somebody who doesn't have feeling in their legs doesn't burn themselves.
7: Then it goes back to the centralized question, Arzee. Who's the deciders in chief? Is it all of us, or is it an oligarchy of people? Because those rules that you're referring to are (laughs) are appointed by somebody. If they're not appointed by the people who are going to be obligated by them, then that's not saying they're equal. They're not equal. You're relegating They're certain people to masters law. other people to slaves.
4: You are being held to a standard by the very people whom you have named the oligarchy, and you have been forced to engage in fraternity with people that you may never meet, you may never see or who may never actually walk or crutch you know it's like i'm always i'm and this is you know Sometimes, where I sort of lose track with you sometimes, John, is that mm-hmm. is there an alternative form of government that could meet the requirements that you set forth where we all have? Would this sound like... right? To set the rules for ourselves,
8: and from the George Orwell book,
4: and we've balanced the encumbrances that are put on all of us. Mm-hmm. Can you can you explain to me what that form of government is?
7: Well, predicated on the Declaration of Independence and the fact that the Constitution only stands by the signatories of those who are willing to accept it. Do you believe any one of us? I'm looking at the rule of law, and people have to decide what's the difference between the rule of law and the rule of man. If you don't have justice, you don't know what's just. Then governments instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed— Is injustice And that's where the deception is We've bought into a deception Where we've allowed man to be master And they get to Manipulate us Now this might be more than What we can chew off in just the Next few minutes of this show So do you want
4: to push
7: this on To no way show or Squeeze something in right now
4: And this Force fraternity Comes into this This world will be Dante's Inferno to them. Abandon all hope, ye who enter. In name of fraternity, another will demand that the working day be reduced to ten, eight, six, four hours. Whereupon production will be forthwith brought to a halt. As there will be no more bread to appease hunger nor cloth to protect men against the cold. A third will propose replacing bread and cloth by legal tender paper money. We call it here. That's your, that's your EBT card. Rather than working to feed yourself and clothe yourself, in the name of fraternity, you have... been given paper money. Do we not buy things with money? To multiply money, he will say, is to multiply bread and cloth, to multiply papers, to multiply money. A fourth will require that competition be abolished by decree. Does the idea everybody getting a trophy come to mind? <laughs> A fifth, that self-interest be eliminated by law. This is where your equality comes into play. Your self-interest in you being the very best that you can be, that you be a leader, that you be a producer, would fall by the wayside in the interest of fraternity. This one will want the state to provide work. We all saw how well that worked in Russia. One, education. You can see how well that works now. And another, pensions for all citizens, SSI, and everything else. What well, Still another would dethrone all the kings of the earth and decree that in the name of fraternity, universal war. And that is where things become equal for the huddled masses. Universal war, where it's like what we talked about in 1984, And everything else, where all will suffer, but the few will rise. I stop here. It's quite evident that if we take this path, the supply of utopias is inexhaustible. They will not be rejected, it will be said. Granted, but it is possible that they will not be. And this suffices to create uncertainty, the greatest scourge of labor. Under this system, capital cannot be formed. It will be rare, dear, and concentrated in a few hands. This means that wages will be reduced and that inequality will open up a continuing widening gulf between the social classes. It will not be long before the public finances reach a state of complete disorder. How could it be otherwise when the state is responsible for furnishing everything to everybody. The people will be crushed under the burden of taxes. Loan after loan will be floated. After having drained the the present, the state will devour the future. This, my friends, with the two minutes and odd seconds I have left, I would submit to you is exactly what we have In front of us now. Exactly. The people are being crushed under the burden of taxes. Loan after loan has been floated, and we long ago drained the present. And the state ever the rapacious creditor what? will demand their due. So it for tonight. Oh, and by the way, next week, somebody will have a show at, in this time slot, but I don't know who it's going to be at this point because I have made a personal vow to myself that I am going to try to attend one wrestling match every month for the next year, and the first match of the year is next Friday, so I'm going to be in negotiations with probably Smokey in no way to pull the duty and get it done, and For the panel, No Way, and MFP, and John, and our new friend from Minneapolis, and Tricia was on the line, and the Gooch, and all our friends in chat, I wish you and yours the very best, oh, New Year's, to my girl, honey, know that I love you, and... We will see you next time around. Later, y'all.